The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash the sea report. And thanks, y'all. Good evening, friends, ladies and gentlemen, folks, family, everybody all around. How is everyone doing tonight? Welcome back to another edition of Mr. C in the Dark, where we do it in the dark, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Needless to say, I guess that's the point of the show, but uh, I hope everyone's doing well this evening as we uh, barrel into another episode here, uh, doing what we like to do, bring in light to dark light to darkness, taking things from dark to light. You know what I mean. I don't think uh, we got to do uh, the entire explanational of everything else, but uh, it's great to be back with you guys. Uh, Hot off a brand new episode of The Sea Report and hopping right back into the saddle. Uh, We are uh, presenting out tonight on a few platforms of uh, worth mentioning we got uh, the Foxhole, we got uh, Rumble, we got Twitch, we got Clout Hub, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, welcome everyone who's joining us at this late night hour. Now, if you're joining us uh, but at Central Time, we're here about midnight. Uh, you still got a couple of hours left over in the good old 11th day of the month of February if you're out west and beyond. And of course... Well, if you're over on the East Coast, it's probably past your bedtime. But you know what? Thanks for hanging out with us anyways here this evening as uh, we uh, present out another episode. Continuing into our discussion about uh, Les Wexner, the mob connections, the United States government, and beyond. And uh, man, it's been quite a doozy uh, the last few episodes that we've been talking on this topic and uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that we got a lot of interested folks here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, came in a little bit late, you know, actually, uh, speaking of the new opening, uh, Miss Sonia JHC, howdy, howdy. Well, let me just go and say hello, hello real quick. Slick Shoe, iRobot, uh, as well as uh, Sonia JC and WC Crane Operator already popping up to say hello tonight. And Sassy Q, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> 
Good to see you, Sazzy Q. Hey, Sazzy Q, I have to ask you a question, Sazzy Q. Did I see you in another chat room during the daytime that was not Foxhole? You can just put yes or no. Uh, if not, someone else has that fabulous name of yours, Sazzy Q. But uh, I put pew, pew, pew in that uh, chat room also. Just curious. Just curious. I won't I won't out you or anything like that. But um, yeah, indeed. Uh, Sony GHC asking about that new opening. Um, yes. Uh, yes and no. I, I just I'm really enjoying I'm really enjoying the vibe that that um, that song kind of uh, sets up the night for. And then, of course, we have our standard intro um, uh, that goes along with it. Uh, I was actually working on a video for that opening that's not so copyright infringement-y uh, because that entire video is some other genius uh, musician DJ person put it together with, you know, the uh, anonymous mask and all that. Well, you know, not the not anonymous mask, but you know, that's the mask that anonymous tends to go by. I really like it. I mean, I think it's really cool video, but it's not mine. And so I don't want to keep on using it. And then, of course, you know, it, it advertises. See, at least we're advertising for the video creators that that dark chill playlist, uh, whatever it is. But uh, yeah, so um, anyhow, uh, well, yeah, I was working on that just prior to getting on something that, like I said, is not so infringy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got caught up with that because that's that that song is just very hypnotic, I'm sure as it's intended to be. But either way, thank you, Sonia. I'll, I'll call you Sonia, Miss Sonia. But yeah, we are here. Um, uh, we are here and uh, we're doing it um, uh, in the dark, as they say. And uh, getting ready for, oh boy, all, all manners of things for tonight. Uh, we'll probably jump right in headlong before I get too lost in the darkness. Aha, so to speak. Uh, but thank, thanks again for joining us tonight as we barrel into this topic. It's not the easiest of topics to talk about, admittedly, but, um, you know, it is well worth uh, becoming informed about it and then, uh, you know, doing what you do best with that information. Well, you guys know what you do best with that information. So, uh, and last week was, um, not last week, I apologize. Last episode was actually pretty, uh, well, it was about last week, wasn't it? It was about, it was about a week ago now, wasn't it? That we did that. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it had a lot of information, geez Louise, uh, and a lot of things that, uh, we may not care to know about or want to know about, but Hey, we're just putting the information out there. Like I said, we will all do with it as we will. Uh, I uh, have my DOC of tonight. That's my drink of choice. I just downed a mug full of uh, coffee. So I'm looking to uh, stay on track tonight. And I'm looking to uh, really uh, power through it with you guys. Because we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we'll be talking again. We'll be finishing up the section uh, regarding the mob specifically and human trafficking and the honeypot uh, blackmail, um, I guess, uh, methods that they used to employ in order to get uh, people to do their will. I mean, if you think about it, it's really that person's fault because uh, in, in succumbing to their vice, they're opening up themselves to that type of uh, that type of uh, a situation where they're compromised and they have to go along with it. That's what we learned about J. Edgar Hoover. And apparently, you know, the man didn't mind being compromised uh, because that meant a, he could keep doing what he liked to do and B he could use the same methods to, uh, to capture uh, people who, uh, 
he didn't like as well. He's like, well, if it happened to me, we'll make sure it happens to someone else too. And so uh, most definitely that's kind of the story that we followed along yesterday. I mean, on the last episode. So uh, we're going to finish up with the mob and their connections to government human trafficking. And again, the whole point of sharing this is not only to highlight some of the connections that uh, these characters have to the Wexner family, uh, but also to illustrate how these types of operations have been carried out long before Jeffrey Epstein, okay? And then uh, also in that same vein, uh, staying in the Les Wexner vein, we want to get through Les Wexner, okay? Because um, a lot of information is here, and then of course there's a lot more that we want to present here at Mr. C in the Dark. So if we can get through Wexner, we can start to bite off you know, the heads of some of these other topics in the same vein as well. But uh, we're also going to get into uh, an organization called the Mega Group. Um, and some of you all may have heard about the Mega Group, not the MAGA Group, the Mega Group, which is another group of power players that Les Wexner and his family are connected to. So we got a lot to cover in a little bit of time, and I hope you guys are ready for the barrage of information that will be coming your way. Now, before we dip headlong into that, let me dip back into the chat room real quick. Uh, let's see here. iRobot61, good evening. How you doing? And iRobot says, glad you're here, Mr. C. Pickens were slim. Oh, well, hey. Uh, I guess it's just the luck of the draw. I, I got I got nothing else to do on a Friday night uh, but hang out with you guys and put some light into the darkness and, uh, you know, share the truth of the information now. But like I will say for sure, though, as we go through all of this information and as we should with any type of information that we receive, uh, make sure we use our discernment. Make sure that we go with our gut and any knowledge that we might have about these topics and this information, because, um, you know, it's very it's very possible that some of this information is not accurate or it might be contrary to some things that we already know. Now, personally speaking, a lot of this is the information that I have just I'm just learning a lot of this myself. And so, you you know, every now and then you'll hear me say, well, you know, I might want I might, you know, I might discern something else or my gut might be telling me something else about it. So. So you guys, we're, we're all of a, of a conscious mind that we can make that decision up for ourselves, but we're going to continue to uh, carry on that path and we can kind of wade through, uh, you know, what feels right and what feels wrong, what resonates with us and what doesn't as we, uh, as we carry on into the conversation. Sazzy Q says, uh, LOL, it's all good. I went to work around 4 p.m. So is someone using my name, Gur? LOL. No, actually, this would have been on Monday. No, no. Yeah, it would have been on Monday. On Monday, I was, I was, uh, I was uh, running errands about town. And uh, it, was on, it was off on Twitch that I ran into someone named Sazzy Q. So I said, hello, and pew, pew, pew. And uh, <laughs> I was just testing to see if it was you or not. I figured with the pew, pew, pew you would know, you know, it was me, uh, but uh, I never got a response. So maybe someone is using your name over on Twitch, Sazzy Q. Uh, uh, it was during a, uh, it was during a press conference on Monday. Uh, uh, it was a live stream press conference of Patrick Byrne. Uh, if any of you guys know Patrick, I know a lot of people don't like him. A lot of people don't trust him, but I was checking it out to see what, what he had to say. Uh, because I think uh, Patrick Byrne, regardless of where some people might place him. I think he still has information that is worth 
listening to. Uh, and, and then also considering that the man uh, put his uh, neck on the line and a lot of his money to get the Arizona forensic audit off the ground. Uh, I think I, I mean, the man put his money where his mouth is, is kind of what I'm trying to say. He put, million, he put over a million dollars into that, from what I understand himself. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, maybe for someone who's as wealthy as him, a million dollars is not hard to part with. Uh, but I think for all of us that it probably would be, you know, uh, something, uh, considerable to, uh, kind of, uh, kind of, uh, acknowledge anyhow. So, uh, let's see what else do we got here before we jump into our topic du jour tonight. Uh, special Patriot 72. Good evening. Good to see you again. Hola. Hola, hola, hola. Como esta? <laughs> Special Patriot 72. Uh, um, used to, Sazzy, uh, what was that question for, Miss Sonia? And uh, Whiskey Blue, good evening. What's going on, Mr. Whiskey Blue? He says, uh, curious to see what you're digging, uh, where you're digging got you. Well, we're continuing on the path of the mob, the human trafficking, and we're getting into uh, the mega group tonight. And uh, we got, uh, oh, it looks like we have a new viewer, L1LICE, Lil, Lil Ice, maybe? I don't know. New eyes here. Hello, everyone. Well, welcome aboard. I hope you enjoy the show tonight. And I'm sure all the friends in the chat will make you feel nice and comfy. And again, if you're over there at uh, Rumble, at Twitch, or at Clout Hub, and you're joining us live, good evening, and welcome, welcome, welcome. We are live right now, and we'll be live for the next, uh, probably at least two hours, uh, going over this information. Thank you all again for tuning in to Mr. C in the Dark. Uh, we are a sister show, or a Mr. Show, to uh, the C Report. Uh, the C Report, of course, is our, uh, I guess, our flagship news show designed to look like a new show. If you want any more information on that, you can always head over to thecreport.com. I'll go ahead and put that on the screen for you guys in case you'd like. Now, uh, thecreport.com, this, this website is in more, in, in, uh, it's in, uh, it's in, it's in transition right now. I don't mean like it's in transition right now, but, uh, we're, we're changing it up here. So you can catch, uh, while you can, this is just kind of like a holder page. Uh, you can catch any of our live links. So we got the Foxhole, Pill.net, Twitch, Clout Hub, Rumble. And then, of course, for the podcast, if uh, you'd like to see where best to check us out when we are live. And uh, all of these uh, platforms, with the exception of Twitch, um, actually archive our episodes, too. They don't censor them. They don't uh, take them off because, uh, you know, whomever's behind them disagrees with them. Nothing like that. So you can do that. Of course, there's a link to support the show. If you'd like to contact us, if it's about, you know, a, an episode here in Mr. C in the Dark or even on the C Report, if you got any hot tips, you got any questions, you got any complaints, you know, you can always use that contact form over there. It's at thecreport.com. And uh, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, once again, uh, welcome, welcome to the show. We'll be here doing it for a little bit. Oh, Lord. I don't, oh, this is an ugly video. Um, this video here, guys, what, what, this would be an icebreaker. This is the, uh, this is the roast of Bob Saget. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are familiar with Bob Saget. I don't know. I don't think we'll watch this. You know, uh, he turned up dead about, what, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. And uh, they couldn't figure out why he was dead. 
was it natural causes? Was it the jab? You know, was it a, was it a, a ritualistic killing? I mean, who knows? Uh, as it turns out, I think they said uh, he died of a head injury. Okay. He died of an accidental head injury, I think was the, was the final call on that. What that's all about, guys, I don't know. I didn't really read the article. So, uh, you know, but, you know, this video, I'm sure you guys have seen it, the roast. It's so cringe, you know, it's so cringe when uh, they're talking about and kind of making fun of him. And and it's about, uh, it's about, you know, uh, he, how he abused, uh, you know, the people on his set um, the kids on his set. Now, of course, there's nothing that suggests that he actually did that. Like there's no evidence, but I mean, come on. So many people make fun of it. And, you know, they say that jokes are always kind of like 50% true. So it, it, one makes you wonder about it. And then of course, you know, he's been on the air, he's been on the radio, he's been on TV, he's been, he's done shows and he's done comedy, uh, you know, comedy routines where he actually kind of makes fun of that and acknowledges like, you know, raping kids, killing kids, uh, really, really gross, sick stuff came out of that man's mouth. So, um, I'm just saying guys, uh, that is something else that's, uh, ugh. It makes me sick, basically, I guess is what I got to get out right there, though. So anyhow, alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the time has come. What does this guy say? Oh, come on, man. Dog face pony soldier. Yeah, pedo Bob. Mm hmm. Pedo Bob. It's like, why deny it, Mr. C? You know, it's probably true. Yeah, but I mean, head, head, head injury. Do you, you guys think maybe he someone offed him? I don't know. They they hit him on the head and then they like uh, put him face down on his pillow so that he would suffocate through that concussion or something like that. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. A lot of people are dying right now, guys. A lot of people in the industry and a lot of suspect people are dying, too. So I don't know. It's like those uh, fashion designers. Anyways, you know, you guys, I could go on and on and on about that stuff. But uh, if I do then uh, we will uh, we'll summarily run out of time for tonight's episode. So let's get into Les Wexner, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the whole question about this man is because uh, since all of the drama that's going on with uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, all of the drama that ensued after the uh, supposed suicide of Jeffrey Epstein, a lot of people were just kind of like, Mm, you know, fishing around about Les Wexner, but he kind of got lost in all of that conversation, right? Les Wexner got lost in the drama. Uh, he's, he's attempted to stay in the shadows in regard to anything that has to do with Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, even to the point of trying to avoid being um, uh, being deposed uh, by um, the attorneys of Alan Dershowitz, who are quite headstrong about uh, about getting this man to 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 testify or to be deposed at least. Uh, and to deny that he was ever involved with any type of human trafficking, with any type of uh, child trafficking, pederast activity, or overall just rape culture type of uh, activities. And he's still refusing to do it. But he has been deposed by Alan Dershowitz, but we're not, well, he has been 
uh, signed up for a deposition. But uh, we're not going to dip into Alan Dershowitz. Ooh, the phrasing on that, right? We're not going to talk about Alan Dershowitz. I, I actually intended to do some stories on Dershowitz and his history with uh, the Jeffrey Epstein cases and also in, in regards to Les Wexner. So we may touch on that at some point, but not tonight. Uh, that might, that the Alan Dershowitz stuff might serve as its own segment in an upcoming episode. Uh, and I, I kind of feel like we're just laying the tracks down now and we're like really just going through this information. It needs to be recalled. It needs to be remembered. It needs to be brought back up to the surface so that these people who uh, there is a high probability that they were, you know, um, they were part and parcel of these operations, that they were complicit, that they had knowledge, that they were co-conspirators. There's a very high probability. Uh, in one of the articles that we went through last episode, we were also talking about uh, certain uh, certain air, uh, was it air, um, uh, not airports, but certain landing strips. Uh, I believe there was one in Ohio, for example, uh, that really catered to the wealthy, whether it was like a very powerful politician, a powerful businessman, a prince or royalty, uh, where they could fly in cargo ships on a private airstrip that had its own, its own, um, what do you call it? Uh, um, its own area to bring in internationals and stuff like that. You know, I'm forgetting the technical term because I've been drinking some coffee, ladies and gentlemen. So my, my mind is kind of going like a thousand miles a minute at the moment, uh, let alone my mouth. But, um, uh, what do you call it? what? What is that? What is the official name of that word that I'm thinking of right now? Uh, it has its own customs. There we go. A private customs within a private airstrip that's supposed to be audited by the state or by the federal government. But who knows? You know, in a situation like that, if they actually do it. And uh, again, Les Wexner's tied to all of that stuff. Very, very possible that uh, you know you can get away with running cargo loads of humans, children, or other types of contraband. We shouldn't call humans contraband, I know, uh, but other types of trafficking, whether that's drugs, guns, money, people uh, in a situation like that. So anyhow, uh, we'll be dipping into that. Uh, let, me, let me see here. Whiskey Blue says uh, Wexner is balls deep in trafficking. Um, we got uh, Sassy Q saying Wexner needs to be strung up and hung out to dry. Yeah, and really, we would need to we would need to barrel down on that information. Like uh, something else needs to come to light in that regard. Whiskey Blue says so. Another pedo, natural selection, all taking the jabs. Eh, you know, well, they're the ones who wanted to be part of that group. So I guess that is where that ends up. You know. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we got, uh, Lil Ice says, I'm great. I took a sabbatical from it all. Oh, you guys are moving fast in the chat. Uh, says I took a sabbatical from it all. Where to go? Where to go? Where to go? Oh, there we go. A few months, uh, but now I'm back and ready for the fight. Yeah. That's why I say whenever we're in these conversations, make sure you put on your full suit of armor. You know what I mean, guys? Cause, uh, it could leave you feeling a certain way. WC Cranop says, all the shit I was researching about the jab today makes me want to shred my clothes as all my prodigy are jabbed. Seriously, pray for them. Yep. Prayers up, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hope that they got the, uh, let's hope they got the, uh, the saline solution, as it were. Let's hope they got the less lethal version of that or that they're not going to be uh, affected by it otherwise in an adverse way. 
<laughs> yeah, no, no tall boys tonight, Whiskey Blue. I had myself some coffee sans Kalua, so yeah, I'm I'm gonna stay on track tonight, guys. Oh my goodness. For you you folks over there at the foxhole last night, at three in the morning, I was I was ready to close up shop at two fifty, okay, and then I had a guest pop in ten till three. So I stayed on for like another hour and a half or something like that. Total mess, total mess. Good evening, canoe tripper. How you doing, sir? Good to see you in the chat room tonight. Hope you are well. All right. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and dip in. Like I said, we got lots of uh, ground to cover with Les Wexner. So uh, where are we going to start? We're going to start here, guys. This is another article coming to us by the, uh, by the pen of Whitney Webb. Okay, so Whitney Webb apparently is a uh, investigative citizen journalist. Well, she worked for actual presses, but I would think for all intents and purposes, pretty much a citizen journalist, right? Uh, and uh, she actually did an interview with Maria Farmer, who is one of the uh, one of the victims of Jeffrey Epstein, who actually lived on the um, Les Wexner estate for a few months. She was locked up in one of his guest houses and was not allowed to come out. I think she said in three months she only saw the outside, like maybe three or four days where they let her out. She talked about how there were snipers on the ground. There were guards on the ground. There were guard dogs. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Les Wexner has claimed uh, has claimed innocence of ever knowing about that. He says he didn't never know. He never knew who Maria Farmer was. Uh, even even in her accounts of um, even in her accounts of having spoken with like Abigail Wexner, who is Les Wexner's wife, uh, they claimed that. She never spoke with her. So Jeffrey Epstein was also living on property at that time. We looked at his, um, we looked at his uh, guest house uh, in the last episode. We saw the Les Wexner, Ohio grounds of his mansion. It's like, what, 36, 40 acres uh, like wide or large. And uh, so we were able to see uh, Jeffrey Epstein's abode there. And then also we were able to see where they kept Maria Farmer as a live-in artist, right? But uh, apparently uh, it was just not to be for her because she suffered there a lot. She was, uh, she was sexually assaulted, according to her, by Epstein and Ghislaine on the grounds. She was around Ghislaine Maxwell a lot, and so she got to really know Ghislaine Maxwell and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, point being that Whitney Webb, who wrote this article, actually also interviewed Maria Farmer. It was a, like, like a three-hour interview or so, and I'm actually entertaining the idea of possibly airing uh, portions of that interview. I would say maybe we could do like 30 minute installments. It's a very interesting interview between Whitney Webb, the writer of this article, and Maria Farmer, the victim of Jeffrey Epstein, who was also a part of a part of she participated in. She went uh, she testified during Ghislaine Maxwell's trial. And uh, so very interesting stuff, guys. But um, let's see what Whitney Webb has said about um, the government, Jeffrey Epstein, and all that. Now, again, like I said, guys, use your discernment. You know, take this with a grain of salt, because right off the bat, this, this headline here, government by blackmail, Jeffrey Epstein, Trump's mentor, and the dark secrets of the Reagan era. Now, so this is also going to dip in and connect to the Franklin scandal, okay? And that is the Boys Town, Nebraska scandal. I mean, I don't agree with the Franklin scandal because the Frank, I mean, the title, the Franklin scandal, because 
to say the Franklin scandal means you're really only calling to attention Franklin Bank, okay, who laundered the money for Larry King or Lawrence King, who was like, you know, the token black of the Republican Party in the 80s, okay? But even here, you have Reagan's name being mentioned here, and this scandal went all the way to the top of Reagan's White House. Does that mean that Reagan participated? There's never been anything to suggest that he did. We know that Herbert Walker Bush, Daddy Bush, his vice president, definitely is implicated. So going to the top of the Reagan White House could mean going all the ways up to the VP office. We know the blood is on the hands of Daddy Bush. But as we also saw in the last episode, we had um, we had people like uh, this guy by the last name of Cohn who was also around Reagan a lot. We had uh, J. Edgar Hoover involved. I mean, it was just all of these names that we know all involved and all tied together in this nice little package. And so I think going back, going back and looking at this information in 2022, we get a really wide view of what was going on. And I think what you guys will see is that when we've taken this step back, we can see that going all the way back to, you know, the days of um, the days of what uh, where, you know, you had to have bootlegging and stuff like that of alcohol. And, you know, you had the mob formations and stuff like that where they were really starting to get power. And uh, I'm talking about uh, what was it called? The uh, my mind is going so fast with this coffee. Um, talking about the uh, um, uh, those years, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that there it's all the same people involved it's all the same people involved and they're still involved in it today so where we left off with that era of uh of um i guess uh this country the government and their involvement and the origins of where these operations were going we're starting to get more and more into modern times into times that are quite relevant to us today but again all of these are the same people associated with these operations and we can really kind of like see a bigger picture now. And so I think that's what's kind of interesting how as time has moved along, this information indeed has gone from dark to light, you know, and that's not in part because of the fact that we're shining a light on it by uh, uh, learning about it, uh, looking it up, researching it, acknowledging it. But literally all of this is coming to the surface. So why don't we dip in ladies and gentlemen and i'm going to actually go ahead and shrink this down real there we go so it's uh it's not so big and in your face all right so what does it got to say here appalling for both the villainous abuse of children itself and the chilling implications of government by blackmail this tangled web of unsavory alliances casts a lurid light on the political history of the U.S. from the Prohibition era right up through the age of Trump. Do you guys like it? We'll do it like this. Okay. So, all right. Uh, so it says here, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire who now sits in jail on federal charges for the sex trafficking of minors, has continued to draw media scrutiny in the weeks after his arrest on July 6th. Part of the reason for this continued media interest is related to Epstein's alleged relationship to the intelligence service and new information about the true extent of the sexual blackmail operation Epstein is believed to have run for decades. As mint, pris, 
As Mint Press reported, Epstein was able to run this sordid operation for so long precisely because his, own, his, his was only the latest incarnation of a much older, more extensive operation that began in the 1950s and perhaps even earlier. Starting first with mob-linked liquor baron Louis Rosensteel, and later with Roy Cohn, Rosensteel's protege and future mentor to Donald Trump, Epstein's is just one of the many sexual blackmail operations involving children that are all tied to the same network, which includes elements of organized crime, powerful Washington politicians, lobbyists and fixers, and clear links to intelligence as well as FBI. So I'll pause here real quick, and I will say uh, we were kind of having some discussions about this last night uh, before the night got too long. And um, uh, a point of view that I think is worth noting when we're talking about uh, someone like President Trump, you know, is that there have been no clear connections to President Trump and victims or those who can uh, say that, you know, President Trump actually participated in any type of uh, child rape. Um, but his name is definitely associated with a lot of these individuals. Now, as we uh, learned last week, I keep saying that as we learned in the last episode, um, President Trump did actually purchase the Plaza Hotel in New York, uh, where some of these operations were um, were actually being executed. Uh, we talked about the Blue Room uh, last week, and that was that was the or the Blue Suite, I should say, and that was the room in that hotel where operations where a lot of individuals were being tied to um, a pedophilia child rape and otherwise um you know compromising situations that they could that could then be used against them for blackmail now uh, one of the point of views that was uh, given to me about that as well, you know, he could very well have facilitated to be a watcher, you know, to kind of see what's going on, but not actual a participant. To me, that's kind of getting too close to the dark side, but I'm not going to judge because there's no telling exactly what the role that President Trump or Donald Trump had in all of this. Again, never been tied to anything, never been convicted. Uh, anytime there have been um, claims of sexual harassment or there have been claims of, uh, you know, sexual violation on the part of President Trump, those cases that went to court have always been thrown out. Like not one has ever stood in court because I think in the process of discovery or in the process of uh, figuring out whether or not these uh, allegations are true, the judges, the lawyers find that eh, this is most likely uh, being filed against him just to the benefit of the press who want to be able to run with the story that someone filed uh, a case against him. I mean, he hasn't even had cases where they have been, uh, where they have been, uh, what's the word, settled, okay? And we all know that basically when a case gets settled, that there is some guilt on the part of some party, and it's just to keep it out of court and to keep it hush-hush, okay? And that has not even happened with President Trump. He's not even settled a case like this which goes more to the fact that he is not actually guilty of things like this. So, again, with a grain of salt, we're going to go ahead and go through this information, okay? And uh, we're going to use our discernment, and we're going to follow our gut on this. And, you know, if we have research to the contrary, then we can most definitely uh, take that where we need to take it, 
when that time comes, okay? So I just kind of want to say that as we're starting this. And again, we're not putting President Trump on a pedestal to say, oh, the man is completely, you know, guilt-free and he's never done a single bad thing in his life. But um, from my knowledge, at least, he has not been involved in a guilty manner in regards to any of this type of activity. Don't get me wrong, last week, last episode blew my mind when, you know, we discovered that he actually owned property where these activities were taking place and that he was actually present during a lot of these parties. But again, there's nothing else there other than his presence and his association that could possibly paint him with guilt. So, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Sonia, Sonia says, I've heard or read that Trump was connected to Cohn due to the unions. Okay. Yeah. And last, uh, last episode, definitely there was a Cohn connection to President Trump, as well as that blue suite where trafficking and uh, pedophilia was occurring. Oh, so iRobot61 says, actually, Trump did settle a rape case out of court. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up, iRobot. Thank you for uh, putting that in the chat room. Okay, so those are the kinds of things that I like. I like it when you guys share that information. So we can go ahead and dig a little bit deeper into that. Whiskey Blue wonders if it's Stormy Daniels. I'm very curious. I mean, I'm very curious to know. Uh, So I'm glad that you uh, shared that bit of info there. Whiskey Blue also says, I think JFK and Reagan were the only ones trying to do what Trump did, expose them, which is why they tried to, uh, which is why they tried to assassinate them. Yep. And Marilyn. Yeah. And you know, Reagan. Yeah, I think so too. I would agree with that for show, ladies and gentlemen, for show. Um, Sazzy Q. Yes, I have heard of that uh, content creator, Praying Medic. He was like one of the only ones that I knew about before The Great Purge. I never listened to him. I've never seen his show. Um, But uh, I've also heard some other things about him and, you know, contracts. So I just, uh, it just, he never resonated with me. Uh, I would rather, I I heard about him from Dave on X-22. Let's put it that way. So, uh, but yeah, I never, never really checked him out. Uh, But I don't know why do you bring up, um, why you bring up Praying Medic. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, what else do we got? What else do we got before we read the rest of this article, guys? Uh, let's see here. I think we're good. I agree on that one. All of them were trying to expose this to the people. Uh-huh. Some great prayers for those that took it. Oh, you were talking with WC Cranop, Sazzy Q. I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> I, I did not see that at WC Cranop there. So my bad. Didn't mean to bust into y'all's conversation. I I shall respectfully uh, see my way out. Uh, was it? I'll ABC my way out. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys. Okay, guys. Let's go ahead and uh, jump into this again. Do y'all guys like it better like that? Is that not, is it big enough there? I don't know. Can you guys see that? Well, I'm not sure. You guys tell me. Uh, what view do you prefer? This one or the other? I think that's good. Actually, I can see it in my monitor. Okay, so uh, it says here, this report, part two of this series titled The Jeffrey Epstein Scandal, Too Big to Fail, will delve into Cohn's close ties to the Reagan administration, 
which was also closely tied to the same organized crime network led by the infamous mob figure Meyer Lansky, Lansky, which was discussed in part one. Of particular importance is the Iran-Contra network, a group of Reagan officials and associates who played key roles in the Iran-Contra scandal. Though it has remained relatively unknown for years, many key figures in the same network and several fronts for the CIA that were involved in funneling money to the Central American Contra paramilitaries were also trafficking minors for their sexual exploitation and use in sexual blackmail rings. Several of these rings made headlines at one point or another over the years, from the cowboy ring run by Washington lobbyist Craig Spence to the Franklin child sex and murder ring run by Republican operative Larry King to the scandal that enveloped the Catholic charity convent house in the late 1980s. Yet, as this report will show, all of these rings and more were connected to the same network that involved key figures linked to the Reagan White House and linked to Roy Cohn. Uh, revealing the true scope of the sordid sexual blackmail operations and sex rings that involved the trafficking of children within the U.S. and even in Central America for their exploitation by dangerous and powerful pedophiles in the United States. Appalling for both the villainous abuse of children itself and the chilling implications of government by blackmail, this tangled web of unsavory alliances casts a lurid light on the political history of the United States, from the Prohibition era right up to the present day and the age of Trump, a fact made increasingly clear as more and more information comes to light in relation to the Jeffrey Epstein case. All right, so let's talk about Roy Cohn. It says here, since Donald Trump burst onto the political scene in 2015, the legacy of his mentor, Roy Cohn, uh, Cohen, uh, as well as Cohn's influence on his most famous protege, have begun a, to garner renewed media attention. Many of the profiles on Cohen following Trump's rise have focused solely on certain shadowy aspects of Cohn's history, particularly his association with major figures in New York organized crime, his corrupt dealings, and his eventual disbarment. Some of these portrayals even went so far as to label Cohn as politically impotent, while Cohn was known to deal with a sizable amount of sleaze in his career, such depictions of the man failed to note that he had to create an influence machine of unrivaled power that included some of the most prominent people in media and politics, as well as a cadre of celebrities. Cohen was closely associated with numerous celebrities, famous politicians, and political operatives. Many of his birthday parties over the years attracted such famous figures, such as artist Andy Warhol. And I might say, guys, I'm trying to dig on Warhol right now, and it's hard to find information on him. I have a lead with one of his, um, I think it was one of the biographies on him. But even when I was trying to find out information about that, hard to find, okay? Hard to find. All I know is Andy Warhol and Montauk. That's where I'm at with that. If you guys got any information on Andy Warhol, child trafficking, adrenochrome, and uh, pedophilia, please let me know so I can, like, uh, assist in that dig. All right. Uh, it goes on here. 
Um, okay, so uh, such figures as Andy Warhol, fashion designer Calvin Klein, and comedian Joey Adams, as well as notable political figures including former mayor of New York Abraham Beam, and then assemblyman from Brooklyn and future senator Chuck E. Schumer. Crying Chuck E. Schumer. See, I'm telling you guys, it's all the same people wrapped up in this uh, a, a pocket of filth. Among others, in 1979, Margaret Trudeau, mother of current Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, attended Cohn's birthday party, where she famously toppled his custom birthday cake. And of course, Donald Trump, who became Cohn's protege in the mid-1970s, was a frequent fixture at social events held in Cohn's honor. The politicians, journalists, and celebrities invited to Cohn's exclusive parties were said to be those who had open accounts in Cohn's favor bank. His nickname for his unofficial balance sheet of political favors and debts that was surely informed and influenced by his extensive involvement in sexual blackmail operations from the 1950s well into the 1980s. Many of Cohn's celebrity friendships were cultivated through his relationship with and frequent appearances at the famous and famously debaucherous New York nightclub Studio 54, which was described by Ban- Vanity Fair as the giddy epicenter, epicenter of 70s hedonism, a disco hothouse of beautiful people, endless cocaine, and every kind of sex. Cohn was the longtime lawyer of the club's owner, Steve Rubel, and Ian Schrager. Okay, so pictured here, we have uh, Studio, Fi- Studio 54 co-owner Steve Rubel, or Rubel, and Roy Cohn left. Talk to reporters outside U.S. So Roy Cohn, my left or your left? Aha! Anyways, okay, so there's photos of those two. Uh, We have among Cohn's closest friends were Barbara Walters, to whom Cohn often referred to, referred as his fiance in public, and whom he later introduced to the head of the U.S. Information Agency, Chad Wick, and other high rollers in the Reagan White House. Yet Walters was just one of Cohn's powerful friends in the media, a group that also included Abe Rosenthal, executive editor of the New York Times, William Sapphire, longtime New York Times columnist and New York Magazine contributor, and George Sokolsky of the New York Herald Tribune, NBC and ABC. Sokolsky was a particularly close friend of both Cohn and former FBI director J. Edgar Hoover, whose involvement in Cohn's sexual blackmail operation is described in part one of this investigative series. Sokolsky ran the American Jewish League Against Communism with Cohn uh, for several years, and the organization later named its Medal of Honor after Sokolsky. Cohn was also the attorney and friend of media mogul Rupert Murdoch, and according to New York Magazine, whenever Roy wanted a story, stopped uh, whenever roy wanted a story stopped item put in or story exploited roy called murdoch and after murdoch bought the new york post cohn wielded the paper as his personal shiv according to the late journalist robert perry the friendship between murdoch and cohn were first began thanks to their mutual support for israel 
Cohen also leaned on his lifelong friend since high school, Cy Newhouse Jr., to exert media influence. Newhouse oversaw the media empire that now includes Vanity Fair, Vogue, GQ, The New Yorker, and numerous local newspapers throughout the United States, as well as major interests in cable television. New York Magazine also noted that Cohen uh, used his influence in the early 80s to secure favors for himself and his mob clients in Newhouse publications. In addition to Newhouse, Cohn's other high school pals, uh, Generoso Pope Jr., and uh, or Generoso, if you want to say it the Spanish way, it's probably Generoso, and Richard Berlin later became the owners of the National Enquirer and the Hearst Corporation, respectively. Cohen was also a close friend of another media mogul, Mort Zuckerman, who, along with Rupert Murdoch, would go on to befriend Jeffrey Epstein. Cohen's media confidants, like journalist William Buckley of the National Review and Firing Line, often attacked Cohen's political enemies, particularly longtime Manhattan District Attorney Robert Morgenthau in their columns using Cohen's Uh, using Cohn as an anonymous source. Buckley, whom historian George Nash once called the preeminent voice of American conservatism and its first great uh, eucumenical figure, received the George Sokolsky Medal alongside Cohn's mob-linked client and Supreme Commander Louis Rosenstiel from the Cohen-run American Jewish League Against Communism in 1966. Buckley later got a heavily discounted $65,000 loan to buy a luxury boat from a bank where Cohen held influence and whose president Cohen had handpicked according to a 1969 article in Life magazine. Buckley, along with Barbara Walters, Alan Dershowitz, and Donald Trump, would later serve as character witnesses for Cohen during his 1986 disbarment hearings, and all but Buckley would later draw controversy from their relationships with Jeffrey Epstein. With connections like this, it is no wonder that Stanley Friedman, a law partner of Cohen, was later imprisoned over a kickback and bribery scandal while serving as New York's deputy mayor, told journalist Marie Brenner in 1980 that Roy could fix anyone in the city. Wow, that is quite the laundry list right there, ladies and gentlemen, um, in regards to this man, Roy Cohen. What do you guys think about all of this stuff? Like, that's some pretty heavy-duty information. Like, all of these people are all connected. Now, you guys might remember whenever the Mockingbird media really got its start. Okay, well, quick rundown. Okay, you had... um, you had uh, you had operatives coming over to America since 1776. Let's just be honest, guys. From the crown, from you know the United Kingdom, etc. But when they were able to set up the third central bank of the crown colonies, right in America, the Federal Reserve Central Bank, um, what they did after that is they began to consolidate all of the news agencies because obviously they didn't want any reporters, they didn't want any editors, they didn't want any press talking about the Federal Reserve Central Bank and what it really was, which was a central bank that would eventually or could eventually or had the ability to destroy the economy if the people of the country were not doing their bidding or if they crossed them, etc. 
So they started buying up all of the newspapers. They started buying up all of the presses. They started. And then, of course, whenever we got with the CIA's involvement, and that would be long about what the 40s and 50s, when they started doing Operation Mockingbird, then they started installing people from their three letter agencies into the press and into television and into media. Okay, so it's just it's interesting to see that all of these people are involved in this. But then like the next step here, I think, is this central character, Roy Cohn, who he's tied to child trafficking. He's tied to like these blackmail operations and all of these people are around him in his sphere of influence. So I think that's, it's quite interesting to see how all of these people connect ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, what else do we got? What else do we got? Sazzy Q. I knew him before he wrote a book long time for show. Who are we talking about here? Who are we talking about here? Uh, Okay, Davy. Hey, oh, okay. You're talking about praying medic before Q. When I first came into the light, I found uh, PM. We spoke in groups, and oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Very cool, Sazzy Q. Very cool. Uh, don't dislike either one of them. Just so much out there couldn't keep up. Okay, Whitney Webb. I don't think just like. Oh, Whitney Webb. I don't. I don't think just doesn't like Trump. So there's that. And praying medic. I'm like you, Mister C. Just never got into him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very true. Whitney Webb. Just maybe she just doesn't like Trump. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about Whitney Webb, but I do know that uh, she's pretty thorough <laughs> on her investigations. But uh, you know, I mean, it's take it. We have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, we, we can't, you know, uh, we can't just uh, shy over details that we don't. I, you guys can understand that. Whether we agree with the details or not, they're there. Uh, she might be painting him uh, as closer to Roy Cohen than he was. I know, you know, but uh, we'll see. We'll see about it as we go along. Yeah, Montauk, Sonia J. Uh, Sonia Montauk. Uh, there's there uh, supposedly there's mention of Andy Warhol always going to Montauk. Now, if you, there's, what is that, the name of that island that's up in New York, uh, where they have, um, is it in New York where, it, where they have, uh, I think the island is, um, it's labeled like a dangerous island. I think they have a, uh, I have, they have a bio level four or three lab on that island. Um, up in that area, apparently there's an island where bodies are washing up and apparently like Hunter Biden and his people would always go up there and, you know, they would take prostitutes or whatever up there, uh, along in that same area. Um, well, well, Andy Warhol owned an estate in Montauk. Okay. And used to throw parties there. Uh, from what I understand, there was adrenochrome operations going on up in that area of New York. I just don't have the receipts for it. I don't have the sauce for it. I need to get the biography that talked about him always going up to Montauk and kind of gave some mentions. But, you know, I saw some videos of parties that would happen out there. There was one in particular that had a, uh, um, I guess, a news, a news reporter that just followed Andy Warhol around everywhere and was always so rude to him. Uh, but uh, Andy never returned that energy in kind or not in kind anyways. But I'm really interested to know um, if you guys happen to know anything about uh, uh, Jean, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. Basquiat. Um, that was uh, Andy Warhol's protege. Okay. Jean-Michel Basquiat, if I'm saying that right. And uh, Jean-Michel or Samo, 
that's what they also called him, that was his nickname, was Andy's protege. Now, Jean-Michel Basquiat, I think it's Jean-Michel, I'm probably looking like so ignorant to all the art buffs out there, but uh, he actually has a painting, okay? He actually has a painting that some people interpret as being symbolic of frazzle drip, okay? Like, it's a frazzle drip painting, you know, it's like, I don't know how to say it. Maybe I can like find it and show it to you guys. Um, and you guys can decide for yourself if you think that's what that is. But that was Andy Warhol's protege. Okay. Jean-Michel Basquiat, if I'm saying that right. So, uh, very interesting guys to me. And, uh, that's where I'm saying where I want to figure out all of the connections, including the artists, the musicians, you know, I, I kind of was doing a dig into the music industry. Uh, and you know, like, uh, if you, <laughs> if you guys were hanging out when I was such a mess last night and I was talking about, you know, <clears throat> all of these artists that I really liked, you know, and finding out that like a lot of them are really involved with this. And I don't think it's not for anything, you know, I mean, it, it can be predetermined to be whatever it is that we believe that it is. But, uh, I think it's because some of the people were really, really heavily involved in this lifestyle. <coughs> Excuse me. But they just masked it so well. Like, if you think about, like, the um, the new wave kind of goth mu- movement that was coming out of the United Kingdom in the, like, late 70s and the 80s. <clears throat> we're talking about bands like Bauhaus, The Cure, um, the Joy Division, and all of that stuff. Uh, Susie and the Banshees, even, you know, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like the reason why these, like, all of a sudden there was this really dark, moody, melodic music. Think about The Cure, think about, you know, acts like that. And they didn't start that way. Like, you know, the first album by The Cure was, you know, very punky, had some kind of pop overtones, but then all of a sudden they just went dark. You know, they just went dark for a few albums. They kind of lingered there. And it's just like this air of depression is all that comes out. And, you know, someone would think like me would like, oh, you know, like he's just goth. He's moody. You know, it's depressed. This is like uh, he's he's a, a tortured soul. Well, in retrospect, when I look back at it, I'm like, well, why was he a tortured soul? Is it because maybe he participated in some of these things and it just ruined him? And so then as an artist or someone who really had, who really has a, uh, who really has a connection to creation, to creativity, you know, uh, and, and, uh, really expresses themselves through their art. That's why everything afterwards was just dark and moody and depressing because, Maybe he willingly, he went along with it willingly or people of that genre went along with it willingly and they couldn't live with themselves, but they still continued it because now they're famous. Now they've got recording contracts, etc. And so that is just, maybe that's where the entire whole gothic movement and music came from. Maybe it came from these people who are getting signed to record labels and they were participating and finding out about these things the way life really is and to be able to live with themselves. They just, that's the music that they created. It's just a theory, guys. I'm just saying, I just know that, um, I was a huge fan of all of that music 
growing up, like that's the stuff that, you know, I listen to and I just have to sit back and be like, well, why is it? I mean, and now I sit here and I think, well, maybe it's, I was meant to hear this and be in line with that. So I could dissect it and we can figure out what the heck was really going on. Uh, because like, uh, the cure had a, um, they had a side project between, uh, Robert Smith and, um, and between, uh, Robert Smith and the bassist for Susie and the Banshees, uh, Steve Severin. And uh, that's called The Glove is the name of that side project. If you look at the artwork for The Glove, it's got a whole bunch of swirls and, you know, kind of like boy love symbols on it. I'm just saying. And I love, love that album. Like it, it was, I, I really, th those were my musicians, you know. And then going back and looking at it, it's like, well, ain't no one else going to call this crap out unless it's me. And the only way that I could do that is by actually having been a fan of that music and it's heartbreaking it's heart-wrenching it's something that people don't want to face i would rather not know that but i know it and so i can't ignore it i have to acknowledge it even if i don't have receipts on it the symbolism is there okay i'm just saying anyways guys let's move on and continue on with this article and uh see what it has to say okay all right Okay, so politically, ubiqu <laughs> politically ubiquitous and poly polygamous. Ubiquitous means uh, like everywhere. It's like all over the place. And polygamous, I think you guys know what that means. Okay, so it says Roy Cohn's favor bank and his unique position as a liaison between the criminal underworld, the rich and famous, and, the, and top media influencers made him a force to be reckoned with. Yet it was his political connections to leadership figures in both the Republican and Democrat parties and his close relationship to longtime FBI director uh, J. Edgar Hoover, among other figures, that made him and his dark secret untouchable for much of his life. Though most of his political influence was forged in the 1950s, Cohn became even more powerful with the rise of Ronald Reagan. Even though he nominally maintained his affiliation with the Democrat Party throughout his life, Cohn was a well-known fixer for Republican candidates, and this is clearly seen in his outsized roles during the 1976 and 1980 presidential campaigns of Ronald Reagan. It was during the, the latter that Cohn would meet another of his protégés, Roger Stone, whom he infamously instructed to leave a hefty bribe tucked in a suitcase at the doorstep of the Liberal Party's headquarters during the 1980 campaign. During this campaign, Cohn would also meet Paul Manafort, an associate of Stone and later Trump's 2016 campaign manager, and introduce both to Donald Trump. Cohn's law partner, Tom Bolin, was also an influential force in the Reagan campaign and later chaired Reagan's transition team in the 1980, or in 1980. Reagan then named Bolin, whom he considered a friend, a director of the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, the government's development finance institution, and he was also the New York finance co-chairman in the Reagan campaign in both 1980 and 1984. Bolin was also close to others in Cone Circle, such as William F. Buckley Jr., Donald Trump, and Rupert Murdoch. Furthermore, Bolin was instrumental in securing federal judges, judgeships for several individuals who would later become influential, including future FBI director Louis Free. 
Cohen was also able to get friends of clients appointed as federal judges, including Donald Trump's sister, Marianne Trump Barry. After Barry was appointed as a federal judge, Trump called Cohen to thank him for pulling strings on his sister's behalf. Though Cohen was not given a public position in the Reagan administration, he was not merely a dirty trickster who worked in the shadows during the Reagan campaigns. In fact, he worked closely with some of the more visible faces of the campaign, including then-communications director of Reagan's 1980 campaign and later CIA director William Casey. According to Christine Seymour, Cohn's longtime switchboard operator from the late 1960s up until his death in 1986, who listened in on his calls, Casey and Cohn were close friends, and during the 1980 campaign, Casey called Roy almost daily. Seymour also noted that one of Cohn's other most frequent phone pals and closest friends was Nancy Reagan, and she was also one of his clients. Reagan, whose influence over her husband was well known, was so close to Cohn that it was largely his death from AIDS that led her to encourage her husband to seek more funding for AIDS research. Prior to Cohn's death, Nancy and her husband, Ronald, secured his spot in an exclusive experimental AIDS treatment program, despite the Reagan administration's well-documented non-response to AIDS crisis of the era. Ronald Reagan was also a friend of Cohn's and, according to late journalist Robert Perry, lavished favors on Cohn, including invitations to White House events, personal thank you notes, and friendly birthday wishes over the course of his presidency. Given that Reagan heavily courted the evangelical right and promoted family values as president, the close ties between not only himself but his inner circle with Cohn may seem odd. However, Reagan, like Cohn, had deep ties to the same organized crime factions that were among Cohn's clients and affiliates of the same mafia figures close to Cohn's own mentor, Louis Rosenstiel. Not unlike Cohen, Reagan's own mentor, Lou Wasserman, had close ties to the mob. Wasserman, the longtime president of MCA and the well-known Hollywood mogul, is known for not only making Reagan's film and television career, but also supporting his su successful push to become president of the Screen Actors Guild, which later launched Reagan's political career. In addition, MCA was a major financier of Reagan's successful gubernatorial bid in 1966, and not long after Reagan became president, his administration controversially shut down a massive Department of Justice probe into MCA's ties to organized crime. Picture here, Ronald Reagan with, uh, who do we got? Uh, A.C. Lyles and Lou Wasserman. Any chance that this Wasserman fellow is related to Debbie Wasserman Schultz? Question mark. And if it, it if that is the case, isn't it interesting how they're all related and interlocked into this mess? Okay, moving right along. According to Sean Swords, a documentary filmmaker who explored Reagan's ties to MCA in Wages of Spin 2, Bring Down That Wall... Ronald Reagan was an opportunist. His whole career was guided by MCA, by Wasserman and MCA founder Jules Stein, who bragged that Reagan was malleable, that they could do what they wanted with him. That thing about Reagan being touch on, tough on organized crime, that's a fallacy. 
Sword's characterization of this relationship is supported by an unnamed Hollywood source cited in a declassified DOJ document who called Reagan a complete slave of MCA who would do their bidding on anything. What elements of organized crime were connected to Wasserman? As a young man, Lou Wasserman joined the Mayfield Road Gang, which was run by Mo Dalitz, a close friend of Meyer Lansky, who, per the FBI, was a powerful figure in Lansky's criminal enterprise, second only to Lansky, himself among members of the Jewish mob. Lou Wasserman would later marry Edith Beckerman, whose father was Dalitz's lawyer. Wasserman's closest friend and lawyer, Sidney Korshak, also had close ties to Dalitz and once partnered with Lansky in the Acapulco Towers Hotel. Notably, the magazine New West stated in 1976 that Korshak was the logical successor to Meyer Lansky. Korshak, as a lawyer, fit a niche similar to Roy Cohn and gained a reputation as the bridge between organized crime and respectable society. In addition, the DOJ probe into MCA that Reagan that the Reagan administration quashed was reportedly spurred after the Justice Department learned that an influential member of the Gambino crime family, Salvatore Pisello, was doing business with the massive entertainment company. At that time, the boss of the Gambino crime family, Paul Castellano, was a client of Roy Cohn. Who boy, guys, because there's so much information here. I just find it so crazy that all of these names, like in mob history, are so closely tied. Now, I know it's not surprising, but uh, to read about it, you know, I mean, I kind of want to go buy all these books and read all of these articles and then just start doing like, you know, connect the dots and all that stuff and, and see where the heck that leads me. I'm going to run out of uh, of yarn, guys, like by the time I'm done with this. Okay, let's see what's up. Cone, Murdoch, and the Contras. Okay, so we didn't talk about the Contras before, but uh, we'll go ahead and uh, entertain this information. So it says here, though Cone's influence in the Reagan administration and his friendship with the Reagan family and their inner circle has been acknowledged, less well known is how Cone aided the CIA's covert propaganda efforts that were part of the larger scandal known as Iran-Contra. Cone, whose influence over the press has already been detailed, forged close ties with the director of the U.S. Information Agency, Chad Wick, even hosting a luncheon in Wick's honor that would widely be attended by influential figures in the conservative press, as well as senators and representatives. Soon after, then-CIA director and Cone friend William Casey was spearheading an extensive PR campaign aimed at shoring up public support for Reagan's Latin American policies, including support of the Contra's paramilitaries. The, this domestic propaganda effort was technically illegal and required that the CIA outsource the job to the private sector to minimize the risk of fallout. As Robert Perry reported in 2015, Wick took the lead in obtaining private funding for the effort and just a few days after Wick promised to find private support, Cohen brought his close friend, the media mogul Rupert Murdoch, to the White House. Picture here! Uh, Ronald Reagan meets with Rupert Murdoch, U.S. Information Agency Director Charles Wick, and Roy Cohn in the Oval Office in the year of my birth, 1983. All right, so there you go. There is uh, that photo there. That's a pretty good high-def photo for 1983, if you ask me. Okay, 
Perry later noted that after this meeting, documents released during the Iran-Contra scandal in 1987 and later from the Reagan Library indicate that Murdoch was soon viewed as a source for the private funding for the propaganda campaign. After that initial meeting, Murdoch became the top media ally of this Casey-directed program propaganda effort and also became increasingly close to the Reagan White House. Murdoch, as a consequence, benefited greatly from Reagan's policies and his friendship with the administration, which allowed Murdoch to increase his U.S. media holdings and to create the Fox Broadcasting Corporation in 1987. Man, that's a, that's a mouthful right there, ladies and gentlemen. That is a mouthful right there. Uh, let's take a pause real quick. I'm kind of uh, interested in uh, seeing what you guys are uh, feeling out there in the chat room. Let me uh, beat, beat, back it up just a minute. Like I said, guys, information to be taken with a grain of salt and do with as you will. But this is pretty thorough and it makes me want to go and look up all of these details and see what I can find. Um, okay, let's see here. Connie Ketchup says, uh, to me, all the same people all the time and their offspring and relatives. Yep, it's so inbred, right? It's so inbred. It's at the bottom of everything, in my honest opinion. Wasn't that some sort of op? Are you talking about the mega group or Montauk? We're getting into the mega group next. Montauk was beyond black ops, says WC Crane Op. So many layers below if what really uh, with if what really things that went on. I've heard some things about Montauk. Um, and then interesting enough, I don't know if you guys ever caught that film, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Like Montauk was a thing in that film also. And that film had a lot to do with like... Uh, I don't know. It was probably an MK Ultra project that was going on up there in that film. I just, uh, that film was something else when I was growing up. Anyways, uh, deep state breeding, more deep state, says Whiskey Blue. Indeed, indeed, indeed. But we know they've been doing this new to many, to many folks. Uh, yes, yes. And that's the point. Like a lot of us are aware of this. And then a lot of this went under the surface because we had what? We had our election stolen. We had we had a pre-planned pandemic. Perfect cover, guys. Perfect cover, perfect distractions uh, in the light of Jeffrey Epstein's arrest and then supposed suicide in the light of the all the stuff that was coming out with uh, with child sex trafficking and, and uh, human trafficking that got buried. It was buried underneath a pre-planned pandemic, underneath a stolen election. Now, don't get me wrong. You guys know that election integrity and uh, uncovering the fraud of the election is absolutely paramount to everything that I'm doing as far as, uh, you know, sharing information and reading stuff like this. Because if we don't have our vote, if we don't have secure elections, we don't have our freedom, period. You know, but um, this stuff needs to come back up to the surface, guys. It needs to be back in the, it needs to be somewhere amongst the top of mind information. Now, can we end human trafficking? Can we end child sex trafficking if we uh, have the type of government that we have right now? No. If we have the deep state like we have now? Nope. If we have a fraudulent and a corrupt and an illegal administration? No, we can't. 
So we absolutely have to fix our country. We have to fix our vote. We have to get all that done if we really want to get to the bottom of child sex trafficking, human trafficking, and putting a stop to it. I think we made major strides in the last four to five years as far as ending these types of operations, but they're still going, right? We all know about the open border. We all know about bringing in every child from all over the country through our southern border and then being warehoused and shipped out God knows where. So uh, that's just an example. They needed to, they needed to refill their, uh, their, their stock, right? And so I think that was a, to me, that was a big part of that. I don't care what anyone else thinks or says about that, but definitely my thoughts go there. Um, let's see here. See, attention is on one part, but there's uh, 24 things going on all over the place. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you're talking to me or someone else there. Montauk with some shit, says Whiskey Blue. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we have our attention right here for now. Uh, so we can get all of this down and we can move forward with it, right? Uh, let's see here. Uh, maybe some connection to true stuff that happens on Montauk, Mr. C. But he, it was an afterthought to what was really going on. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't doubt that for a fact. He would just be like what you would call like a symptom of what was going on, right? Like a symptom of what was really going on on Montauk. And is still going on to this day, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Joy Division was one of the most important bands in that era, Doopy says. Yep, uh, dude, Joy Division, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I mean, take me dancing on a Friday night at a New Wave underground retro goth club, and I will be dancing up a storm to any new uh, Joy Division song. I just, I miss that. Anyways, okay, we're not going to get off into that little ditty of my life. Yes, Whiskey Blue, I was goth in high school. And guess what? I also had hair in high school. Crazy, huh? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, let's see. Stone was a visitor to Epstein Island. He wore the bull's head mask. This was the ex-Epstein employee's video. Man, I wish I'd saved that. Man, I wish you'd save that, too. Maybe it can be dug up somewhere. Who knows? In 72, he got pulled into consular's office for offenses at offensive art on PC via Mad Comics. Okay. All the presidents are related. They are. They're all cousins, except for one, right? Isn't President Trump the only one who's not related to everyone else? Anyways. Rapturetti, what's up? How you doing tonight? Rapturetti says, I think the series Blacklist showed us some real stuff in the name of fantasy. Uh, Blacklist? That sounds familiar, but I'm not too sure if I, I don't think I've ever seen that. Now, if you're talking about Black Mirror, I've seen that, and I would agree with that as well. Uh, who's this? Um, Tris, no, oh, Tris, no one. Welcome, Tris, no one, and thank you for donating the cookie. Uh, glad to see you popping up. <laughs> Thanks, Whiskey Blue. Whiskey Blue says, uh, great dive, Mr. C. You're doing great. No, Montauk is shut down. It has been for years. Okay, I'm definitely going to dig into Montauk. Like, I'm very interested about that, even if it is, like, de facto now. But uh, I want to just, I want to touch all of this. I want to, 
phrasing, Mr. C. I want to dig into all of this stuff. Like, I am just super on it right now on this topic. And uh, that's pretty much where, you know, Mr. C in the dark is going to be going uh, because these are all these are all uh, things that need to be brought back into the light, so to speak. And uh, it's great. WC Cranop says Montauk think Roswell same timeline a few years later the 50s 60s era who man so what you saying they got reptilians over there in Montauk or what <laughs> okay oh we're not gonna go we're not we're not gonna talk re- reptilians anytime soon here on the C report or Mr. C in the dark not saying that stuff can't exist in this universe in this timeline anything is possible but we're just not going to go there anytime soon, I think. All right, guys, let's go ahead and press forward with this. Thanks for hanging out, guys. I think I think we're all enjoying ourselves right now. Uh, and I'm going to have to go back and re- reread the comments because I'm getting a lot of good info out there. If you're joining us at Foxhole, if you're joining us at Rumble, if you're joining us at Twitch or Clout Hub, thank you all for hanging out tonight. For this episode of Mr. C in the Dark as we dig into mob connections and uh, a whole lot more. All of this in the wake of Les Wexner. Isn't it funny how all this came up just investigating Les Wexner? I mean, I know Jeffrey Epstein is the main cornerstone here, but all of this, I think, is pretty substantial. Just real quick, Rapture Ready says, Blacklist each week featured underground peoples that did clandestine services, i.e. the fixer cleaned up messes. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'm going to have to look at Blacklist. I'm going to have to look that up. As I, I, like most of you guys, absolutely believe that they share truths in the media. Mm-hmm. That's how they get away with it. Because they explain it to everyone. And they make everyone aware of it. And then they paint it as a fiction or science fiction or even fantasy, I guess you could say. The man in the black tuxedo. What's this about? Roy Cohn was not the only one close to the Reagan administration who, who was simultaneously running sexual blackmail operations that abused and exploited children. In fact, there were several figures, all of whom shared direct connections to CIA director William Casey and other close friends and confidants of Cohen. One of these individuals was Robert Keith Gray, the former chairman and CEO of the powerful Washington-based public relations firm of Hill and Knowlton, which 60 Minutes once called an unelected shadow government. Sorry, I want to do it that way. An unelected shadow government due to its influence in the capital. According to the Washington Post, Gray himself was one of the most sought-after lobbyists in Washington, and a Post reporter once called him a kind of legend in this town. The man in the black tuxedo, with snow-white hair and a smile like a diamond. Yet, Gray was much more than a powerful PR executive. Gray, who had previously been a close advisor to both Dwight D. Eisenhower and Richard Nixon, was a very successful Republican fundraiser who collects money in six-figure globs, according to a 1970 report in The Washingtonian. 
He first came into close contact with what would be become Ronald Reagan's inner circle during Reagan's unsuccessful 1976 presidential campaign and later as deputy director of communications during Reagan's campaign in 1980. The latter position would see him work directly under William Casey, who later became CIA director. And for some reason, I feel like William Casey was associated with John DeCamp or with Ted Gunderson, whom we talked about when we did our stories on the Franklin cover-up or the Boys Town, Nebraska cover-up. And also Ted Gunderson, when we were talking about, uh, well, everything associated. I feel like William Casey, that name, he was the mentor of Gunderson or he was his boss at one point. Yeah, guys. So oh, interesting how they're all connected, isn't it? I'm going to do it this way. Uh, Gray would go on to co-chair Reagan's inauguration committee and afterwards afterwards would return to the PR business, taking on several clients, including Saudi arms dealer Adnan Khashoggi and hedge fund manager Mark Rich. Both Khashoggi and Rich will be discussed more in detail in part three of this report, particularly Rich, who is an asset of Israeli intelligence uh, outfit Mossad, and whose later criminal pardon by Bill Clinton was largely orchestrated by members of the mega group, like Michael Steinhardt and Israeli politicians like Ehud Barak. The connection between Gray and Casey is particularly telling, as it was later revealed by former Nebraska state senator turned investigator John DeCamp. And Gray was a specialist in homosexual blackmail operations for the CIA and was reported to have collaborated with Roy Cohn in those activities. Cohn and Gray were likely to have known each other well, as during Reagan's 1980 presidential campaign, Casey, then Gray's boss, was calling Roy Cohn every day, according to Cohn's former switchboard operator, Christine Seymour. Gray was a known associate of CIA agent and naval intelligence officer Edwin Wilson, having served in the 1970s on the board of Consultants International, an organization that Wilson had founded and that the CIA used as a front company. Though Gray attempted to distance himself from Wilson after, a, after the latter was caught illegally selling weapons to Libya in 1983, a Navy review of Wilson's intelligence career, unearthed by journalist Peter Moss, stated that Gray described Wilson as a man of unqualified trust and that Gray and Wilson had been in professional contact two or three times a month as early as 1963. Though Wilson's main specialty was front companies used to covertly ship and smuggle goods on behalf of U.S. intelligence, he also ran sexual blackmail operations for the CIA, particularly around the time of the Watergate scandal, according to his former partner and fellow agent, the CIA, fellow agent at the CIA, Frank Turple. Turple later told author and investigative journalist Jim Haugen, Historically, one of Wilson's agency jobs was to subvert members of both houses of Congress by any means necessary. Certain people could be easily coerced by living out their sexual fantasy in the flesh. 
A remembrance of these occasions was permanently recorded via selected cameras. The technicians in charge of filming were Technical Service Division of the CIA, TSD. The unwitting porno stars advanced in their political careers, some of whom may still be in office. According to Turpel, Wilson ran his operation out of the Georgetown Club, owned by lobbyist and Korean intelligence asset Tong Soon Park. According to the Washington Compost, Park set up the club on behalf of the Korean Central Intelligence Agency as a primary means in an illegal effort to influence U.S. politicians and officials. The president of the Georgetown Club at the time of Wilson's alleged activities at the site was Robert Keith Gray. DeCamp later reported that Wilson's activities were a spin-off of the same sexual blackmail operations in which Cohn became involved during the McCarthy era with Louis Rosenstiel and J. Edgar Hoover. Father Ritter and his favored youths. Ugh, I don't know if I want to read this part. Okay. It says the operation allegedly ran by Gray and Wilson was not the only sexual blackmail operation connected to Cohn's network or to the influential American politicians of the era. Another pedophile network that was connected to a close associate of former President George Herbert Walker Bush in the early 1990s was run by run as an affiliate of the Catholic charity Covenant House, which was founded and run by Father Bruce Ritter. In 1968, Ritter asked his superior, Cardinal Francis Spellman of the Archdiocese of New York, for permission to take homeless teenagers, boys and girls, into his home in Manhattan. As noted in Part 1 of the series, Spellman was accused of pedophilia and ordained known pre- uh, pedophiles while serving as the highest-ranking Catholic priest and friend, uh, oh, priest in the United States. Spellman was also a close associate, client, and friend of Roy Cohen, as well as his law law partner, Tom Bolin, and Spellman was alleged to have been seen at least one of Cohen's blackmail parties, at one of Cohen's blackmail parties. In addition, Spellman's nephew, Ned Spellman, worked for Roy Cohen, according to Life magazine. Ritter, like Spellman and other priests who served under Spellman, was eventually accused of having sexual relationships with many of the underage boys he had taken in, and of spending Covent House uh, funds on lavish gifts and payments to the vulnerable teenagers he exploited. One of Ritter's victims, Daryl Basil, wrote an open letter to him a year after the priest's preying on teenage boys was exposed by the press. You were wrong for inflicting your desires on a 14-year-old. I know that someday you will stand before the one who judges all of us, and at that time there will be no more denial, just truth. I'm going to go ahead and open that link for later on perusing. Notably, when Ritter's activities at Convent House were exposed in 1989 by the New York Post, Charles M. Senat, the Post reporter who wrote the story, would later state that the secular powers more than the archdiocese or the Fran- Franciscans protected him, Ritter. Senate's report was attacked viciously by columnists in other New York media outlets, powerful politicians, including then-governor of New York Mario Cuomo, as well as by Cardinal Spellman's successor, Cardinal John O'Connor. 
The likely reasons these secular powers came to the aid of the embattled Ritter, who was never charged for having sexual relationships with minors and was merely forced to resign from his, fo his post, is that Convent House and Ritter himself were deeply tied to Robert Macaulay, Bush's, Bush Sr.'s roommate at Yale and a longtime friend of the Bush family. Macaulay was described by the New York Times as instrumental to Convent House fundraising after he joined its board in 1985 and brought on several other wealthy or well-connected people, including former government officials and investment bankers. Pictured here, I already see Daddy Bush in this picture. Let's see. We got George and Barbara Bush. Look at, she looks like she is like, oh my goodness, where'd it go? Oh, it shot me back in the front. It looks like Barbara Bush is like totally spazzing out in that photo. Look, you know how she does that like, like wide eyed, hypnotic, like satanic, like look at her, look at her. She's like, I'm going to cast a spell on you. I'm the daughter of Aleister Crowley. Or maybe the son of Aleister Crowley. I don't know. Could be either. Um, okay. So uh, let's see here. Uh, George Bush and Barbara Bush meet residents at New York's Convent House in 1989. Father Bruce Ritter is seated in the background. So I'm guessing this is Father Bruce Ritter. Look, shame, shame, shame. They, are, they all look like they're part of something they don't want to be a part of. Poor, poor kids. Oh my goodness. You can see the shame and disgust on their face. Okay. All right. Let, oh, I think we're almost done. Maybe. Maybe so. Maybe no. Maybe no. Maybe so. Woohoo. Okay. Yeah, we're almost there, guys. All right. So that's what we see in that picture. Let's carry on. We're almost there, guys. Okay. Macaulay's organization, the AmeriCares Foundation which was later accused of funneling money into the Contras in Central America, was one of the main sources of funding Convent House. One of the members of AmeriCare's advisory board was William E. Simon, former U.S. Secretary of the Treasury under the Nixon and Ford administrations, who also ran the Nicaraguan Freedom Fund, which sent aid to the Contras. AmeriCare was also known to work directly with U.S. intelligence, as the Hartford Courant noted in 1991. Knowledgeable former federal officials, many with backgrounds in intelligence work, help AmeriCare's maneuver in delicate international political environments. Furthermore, Ritter was known to have visited Macaulay's Connecticut estate and served as vice president of AmeriCare's until he was forced to resign from Convent House. Notably, George Herbert Walker Bush's brother, Prescott, was also on the AmeriCare's advisory board. After George Herbert Walker Bush died last year, AmeriCare stated that he had been instrumental in founding the health-focused relief and developmental organization. Years before Ritter was outed as a pedophile who preyed on the disadvantaged and vulnerable teenagers who sought refuge at his charity, Convent House was praised heavily by President Ronald Reagan, even earning a mention in his 1984 State of the Union address, which called Ritter one of the country's unsung heroes. From 1985 to 1989, Convent House, House's operating budget grew from $27 million to $90 million, and its board, became, its board came to include 
powerful individuals, including top executives at IBM, Chase Manhattan Bank, and Bear Stearns. It was during this time that Convent House grew into an international organization opening branches in several countries, including Canada, Mexico, and elsewhere in Central America. Its first branch in Central America was opened in Guatemala and was headed by Robert Alejos Arzu, a CIA asset whose plantation was used to train the troops used in the CIA's failed Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba. Alejos Arzu um, was also an associate of the former U.S.-backed dictator of Nicaragua, Anastasio Somoza, and a member of the Knights of Malta, a Catholic order to which former CIA director William Casey and Roy Cohn's law partner Tom Bolin also belonged. Alejos Arzu also worked for AmeriCares and was tied to several uh, Central American paramilitary groups. Intelligence community sources cited by DeCamp asserted that Alejos Azul led brand, let the Alejos Azul led branch of Covenant House, Covenant House procured children for a pedophilia ring based in the United States. Years later, Mi Casa, another U.S.-run charity in Guatemala that George H.W. Bush had personally toured with his wife Barbara in 1994, was accused of rampant pedophilia and child abuse. Woo, guys, that's some pretty heady information. Indeed. Good Lord. Give me strength. Let me see what you guys got going on in the chat. Uh, let's see here. Let's see here. Let's see here. Oh, you guys, you guys got it. Moving, moving, moving. Um, what's the name, where, where are we at right now? What's the name of the actors in Blacklist? He was one of my faves. He played in White Palace with Susan Sarandon, says Connie Ketchup. Only if it was hit, only if it was hit in an op. Shit was real. There is so many other places in America. What am I doing? Ha ha. I can look it up. Silly me. <laughs> James Spader, I really don't think it ever stopped, just maintained. Okay. We'll we'll keep on moving along here. We're almost done here. Okay, cool. All right, you guys are being lovely and enjoying yourselves. Thanks again for hanging out late with us here at Mr. C in the Dark. Okay, let's get through this, guys. We're almost done. We might have to have another part to get part three under the belt because these investigative articles are quite long. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if I want to do a 5 AM or tonight. Uh, this stuff is best digested in nuggets. I would say, okay, guys, let's go ahead and press forward. All right. The downfall of Washington's Jay Gatsby. Hmm. What's this all about? After having left his job as an ABC News correspondent in the 1980s, Craig Spence found success as a prominent conservative Washington lobbyist. Spence would soon find his fortunes shift dramatically when, in June 1989, it was revealed that he had been pimping out children to the power elite in the nation's capital throughout the 1980s in apartments that were bugged with video and audio recording equipment. 
Much like Jeffrey Epstein, who ran a similar operation, Spence was often likened to Jay Gatsby, the mysterious wealthy figure from well-known well-known Fitzgerald novel, The Great Gatsby. Okay, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to pause here because let me tell you what I thought about The Great Gatsby. When I saw... I mean, because, yeah, you know, we had to read this book in high school. Well, here's a secret. I didn't read it. I still managed to pass the test. But when the movie came out, you know, the new one that came out with a Leonardo DiCrapio and all those other people, uh, the first thing that I thought was this movie is showing us how they uh, was showing us how they blackmailed politicians and all because you remember you know they'd be they'd be meeting they'd be at the meetings there and like there'd be like the the chief of police the commissioners and stuff like that so i was just like wow this movie is exactly how they blackmailed politicians back in the 1920s or you know whenever this movie came out that's the that's what was going through my head i was like they're showing us how they did it they would throw these huge lavish parties now i don't know if they were as wild and crazy as it was in the movie i mean certainly there was no beyonce's and stuff like that but like um you know or or you know hip-hop music all that crap but like if you guys could imagine like yeah let's go throw a big old party out in the the estates over in new york somewhere and uh, let's get all these people in, at this party. Let's, you know, let's defile them. Let's corrupt them. Let's do all of this. And whoever this Gatsby person was, I guess that would have been this Jay Spence or Craig Spence. I mean, maybe Craig Spence was Gatsby or kind of like what I was thinking, because people were like, we don't really know who Gatsby was. He's a man of legend. What if there was no great Gatsby? What if that was just someone who they said owned that property, but that property was really just like a party zone for blackmail. Like, you know, anyways, that's kind of like what I was thinking about it. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and move forward with this, guys. All right. Uh, in a 1982 New York Times article written about Spence said that his personal phone book and party guest lists constitute a who's who in Congress, government and journalism and stated that Spence was hired by his clients as much for women he for <laughs> for women as much for whom he knows as what he knows. Spence was also known to throw lavish parties, which the Times described as glittered with notables from ambassadors to television stars, from senators to senior State Department officials. Roy Cohn, William Casey, and Roy Cohn's journalist friend, William Sapphire, were just some of the other attendees at Spence's festivities. According to Mr. Spence, the Times article continues, Richard Nixon is a friend. So is former Attorney General under Nixon, John Mitchell. CBS journalist Eric Severide is termed an old dear friend. Senator John Glenn is a good friend. And Peter Ust Ustinov, British actor and journalist, is an old, old friend. Notably, Ustinov wrote for the European newspaper soon after it was founded in 1990 by Robert Maxwell, the father of Epstein's alleged Madame Ghislaine Maxwell and a known Mossad agent. It was revealed just seven years after the Times published 
its doting profile of Spence that his glittery parties for key officials of the Reagan and Bush administrations, media stars, and top military officers had been bugged in order to compromise guests. According to the explosive report published by the Washington Times, Spence was linked to a homosexual prostitution ring whose clients included government officials, locally based U.S. military officers, businessmen, lawyers, bankers, congressional aides, media representatives, and other professionals. Spence also offered cocaine to his guests as another means of acquiring blackmail. According to the report, Spence's home was bugged and had a secret two-way mirror, and he attempted to ensnare visitors into compromising sexual encounters that he could then use as leverage. One man who spoke to the Washington Times said that Spence sent a limousine to his home, which took him to a party where several young men tried to become friendly with him. According to the camp, Spence was known to offer young children for sex to attendees at his blackmail parties, along with illegal drugs like cocaine. Several other sources, including a Reagan White House official and an Air Force sergeant who had attended Spence's Spence-hosted parties, confirmed that Spence was filled with recording equipment which he regularly used to spy on and record guests, and his house also included a two-way mirror that he used for eavesdropping. The report also documented Spence's connections to U.S. intelligence, particularly the CIA. According to the Washington Times report, Spence often boasted that he was working for the CIA and on occasion said he was going to disappear for a while because he had an important CIA assignment. He was also quite paranoid about his alleged work for the agency as he expressed concern that the CIA might double-cross him and kill him instead and then make it look like a suicide. Not long after the Washington Times report on his activities was published, Spence was found dead in the Boston Ritz-Carlton, and his death was quickly ruled a suicide. The Washington Times report also offers a clue as to what Spence may have done for the CIA, as it cited sources that had claimed that Spence had spoken of, uh, spoken of smuggling cocaine into the U.S. from El Salvador, an operation that he claimed had involved U.S. military personnel, Given the timing of these comments from Spence, Spence's powerful connections and the CIA's involvement in the exchange of cocaine for weapons in the Iran-Contra scandal, his comments may have been much more than just boasts intended to impress his party guests. One of the most critical parts of the scandal surrounding Spence, however, was the fact that he had been able to enter the White House late at night during the George Herbert Walker Bush administration with young men whom the Washington Times described as callboys. Uh, pictured here, the Washington Times for Thursday, June 29th, 1989, headline reads, Homosexual Prostitution Inquiry Ensnares VIPs with Reagan Bush. Callboys took midnight tours of the White House. I'm sure some of you guys probably remember that. Um, let's see here. Spence later stated that his contacts within the White House, which allowed him and his callboys access, were top-level officials, and he specifically, he specifically singled out George H.W. Bush's then-National Security Advisor, Donald Gregg. 
Greg had worked at the CIA since 1951 before he resigned in 1982 to become National Security Advisor to Bush, who was then Vice President. Prior to resigning from his post at the CIA, Greg had worked directly under William Casey and, in the late 1970s, alongside a young William Barr. William Barr! Billiam Barr! The B-2 Belugawell bomber! Look at that! In stonewalling the Congressional Pike Committee and Church Committee. Okay, let's repeat that. (laughs) Prior to resigning from his post at the CIA, Greg had worked directly under William Casey and... In the late 1970s, alongside a young B-2 bomber, William Barr, in stonewalling the Congressional Pike Committee and Church Committee, which investigated the CIA beginning in 1975. Among the things that they were tasked with investigating were the CIA's love traps or sexual blackmail operations used to lure foreign diplomats to bug departments, complete with recording equipment and two-way mirrors. Barr would later become Bush's attorney general, rising to that post yet again under Trump. Furthermore, Barr's father worked for the precursor to the CIA, the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, and recruited a young Jeffrey Epstein, then a high school dropout, to teach at the elite Dalton School, from which Epstein was later fired. A year prior to hiring Epstein, Donald Barr published Epstein, sorry, published a science fiction fantasy novel about sex slavery. Well, we'll click that link. I bet you it takes you to Amazon. <laughs> Anyways, notably the same year Donald Barr hired Epstein, his son was working for the CIA. Bill Barr has refused calls to recuse himself from the Epstein case, even though he worked at the same law firm that has represented Epstein in the past. See, I didn't even know William Barr was connected to Epstein like that. That is crazy. Donald, I knew his father was, but I didn't know how much, how I didn't know Bill Barr was connected like that. Anyways, it says here, uh, Donald Gregg is also connected to Roy Cohn's influence machine through his daughter's marriage to Christopher Buckley, the son of conservative journalist William Buckley, close confidant and friend of both Roy Cohn and Cohn's law partner Tom Bolin. The Washington Times reports on Spence's child sex ring also reveal his close ties to none other than ubiquitous Roy Cohn. One of the Times sources for its first story on the scandal alleged that he had attended a birthday party for Roy Cohen that Spence had hosted at his home and that CIA director William Casey was also in attendance. Spence was also said in the report to often brag about his social companions and regularly mentioned Cohen and claimed to have hosted Cohen at his house on occasions other than the aforementioned birthday party goodness. So you know what's kind of coming to my mind here? Aside from the fact that President Trump was not part of the club, right? That President Trump is not part of the group, you know? He's not a member of their exclusive club, and that's why they want him out. What if President Trump also knows where all the bodies are buried, Okay, and now if President Trump has associations with these people all that far back, does it not stand to reason that he would also put them in certain positions 
in order to not just keep a thumb on them and keep an eye on them, but also to uh, further access or divulge their networks. I'm just saying it's an idea that comes to mind. It's something that shines to me. All right, we're almost done, guys. The revelation of Craig Spence's callboy ring soon led to the discovery of the infamous Franklin child sex abuse and ritual murder scandal. That sordid operation was run out of Omaha, Nebraska by Larry King, a prominent local Republican activist and lobbyist who ran the Franklin Community Federal Credit Union until it was shut down by federal authorities. Buried in May 1989 article the, in the Omaha World Herald's probe into King, King's credit union and sex ring is a telling revelation. In the uh, six and a half months since federal authorities closed Franklin, rumors have persisted that money from the credit union somehow found its way to the Nicaraguan Contra rebels. The possibility that King's fraudulent credit union was covertly funding the Contras was supported by subsequent reporting by the Houston Post's Pete Bruton, who discovered that the CIA, in conjunction with organized crime, had secretly borrowed money from various savings and loans institutions to fund covert operations. One of those S&Ls had Neil Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush's son, on its board, and it had done business with King's organization. Another link between King and the Iran-Contra team is the fact that King had co-founded and subsequently donated over $25,000 to an organization affiliated with the Reagan administration, Citizens for America, which sponsored speaking trips for Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North and Contra leaders. The director of Citizens for America at the time was David Carmen, who simultaneously ran a public relations firm with the former head of covert operations at the Casey-led CIA, his father, Gerald, who had also been appointed by Reagan to head the General Services Administration and to a subsequent ambassadorship. One of the investigative journalists who researched the Craig Spence ring later told DeCamp that Spence's ring was connected to King. The way we discovered Larry King and his Nebraska-based callboy ring was by looking through the credit card chits of Spence's ring where we found King's name. It was later revealed that King and Spence were essentially business partners as their child trafficking rings were operated under a larger group named, nicknamed Bodies by God. Exactly how many groups operated under this umbrella group, Bodies by God, is unknown. Yet what is known is that the rings run both by King and Spence were connected to each other, and both were also connected to prominent officials in the Reagan and subsequent George H.W. Bush administrations, including officials with ties to the CIA and Roy Cohn and his network. Indeed, Spence, just months before his alleged suicide in the Boston, Boston Ritz-Carlton, had hinted to Washington Times reporter Michael Hedges and Jerry Seeper, who had originally broken the story, that they had merely scratched the surface of something much darker. All this stuff you've uncovered, involving callboys, bribery, and the White House tours, to be honest with you, is insignificant compared to the other things I've done. But I'm not going to tell you those things, and somehow the world will carry on. 
It is also worth noting the role of the FBI in all of this, particularly in the Franklin child sex abuse scandal. Indeed, Larry King's child sex abuse ring was quickly and aggressively covered up by the FBI, which used a variety of underhanded tactics to bury the reality of King's sordid operation. Here, it is important to recall the key role former FBI director J. Edgar Hoover played in similar sexual blackmail operations that abused children, and the close relationship between Hoover, Roy Cohn, and Louis Rosenstiel, who later employed Hoover's former right-hand man at the FBI, Louis Nichols. Years later, documents released by the FBI would show that Epstein became an FBI informant in 2008, when Robert Mueller was the Bureau's director, in exchange for immunity from then-pending federal charges, a deal that fell through with Epstein's recent arrest on new federal charges. In addition, former FBI Director Louis Free would be hired by Alan Dershowitz, who was accused of raping girls at Epstein's home and was once a character witness for Roy Cohen to intimidate Epstein's victims. As previously mentioned, Free's past appointment as a judge for the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York was orchestrated by Cohen's law partner, Tom Bolin. Thus, the FBI cover-up of the Franklin case is just one example of the Bureau's long-standing practice of protecting these pedophile rings when they involve members of the American political elite and provide the Bureau with a steady supply of blackmail. It also makes it worth questioning the impartiality of one of the main prosecutors in the Jeffrey Epstein case, Maureen Comey, who is the daughter of former FBI director James Comey, who is also a lead prosecutor in Ghislaine Maxwell's trial. It is insane how this is all coming full circle, guys. Like, this is all coming full circle. This is crazy. Okay. My mind is shooketh, y'all. It's shooketh. All right. This is the last section, guys. And now we're going to get Les Wexner back into the... You see all of this history we had to go through just to get back to Les Wexner. This is an insane read. I cannot believe half of what I'm reading. Goodness, guys. Oh, okay. All right. Let's power through, guys. Let's power through. I don't know if you guys' heads is spinning, but my head is just buzzing right now. Okay, it says here, While there were several sexual trafficking operations connected to both Roy Cohen and the halls of power under the Reagan administration, in a matter of months after Cohen's death, it appears that another individual became a central figure in the power network that Cohen had cultivated. That individual... Jeffrey Epstein, would be recruited after his firing from the Dalton School by Alan Ace Greenberg, a close friend of Cohen, to work at Bear Stearns. After leaving Bear Stearns and working as an alleged financial bounty hunter for clients that are said to have included the Iran-Contra-linked arms dealer Adnan Khashoggi, Epstein would come into contact with Leslie Wexner, a billionaire close to the Meyer-Lansky-linked Bromfman family who himself was tied to members of organized crime syndicate syndicates once represented by Cohn. 
the same year that Wexner would begin his decades-long association with Epstein, another Cohen friend with ties to the Reagan White House and the Trump family, Ronald Lauder, would provide Epstein with an Austrian passport containing Epstein's picture but a false name. Lauder, Wexner, and the Bronfmans are members of an elite organization known as the Mega Group, which also includes other Meyer Lansky connected philanthropists like hedge fund manager Michael Steinhardt. While Epstein shares considerable overlap with the network described in this report and part one of this series, he is also deeply connected to the Mega Group as well as its associates, including Ghislaine Maxwell's father. Robert Maxwell. Part three of this series will focus on the mega group and its ties to the network that has been described in parts one and two. In addition, the role of the state of Israel, the Mossad, and several global pro-Israel lobby organizations will also be discussed in relation to this network of sexual blackmail operations and Jeffrey Epstein. It is here that the full breadth of the Epstein scandal comes into view. It is a criminal and unconscionable blackmail operation that has been run by influential figures hidden in plain sight for over half a century, exploiting and destroying the lives of untold numbers of children in the process. Over the years, it has grown many branches and spread well beyond the United States as seen by the activity of Co Covenant House and in Latin America and Epstein's own international effort to recruit more girls to be abused and exploited. All of this has taken place with the full knowledge and blessing of top figures in the world of philanthropy and in the U.S. government and intelligence communities with great influence over several presidential administrations, particularly since the rise of Ronald Reagan and continuing through to Donald Trump. Okay, so again, throwing President Trump's name in there, but... I'm starting to think this man just knows where the bodies are. Because I had no idea. I mean, that's a lot of connect right there, y'all. That is a lot to connect. So. What a crazy read this has been. Let's see. So this New York Post is gone. <laughs> Uh, it was New York City Priest's dramatic downfall was just the beginning of Perv Priest Scandal. Nixed from the New York Times. Crazy. Let's see what this is. An Epstein mystery. Hmm. We'll have to dig into that. Donald Barr. Oh, okay. This was about the book that he wrote. Uh, Bill Barr's father. Um, let's see, it says, uh, Donald Barr, a U.S. writer and academic, former assistant dean of the Engineering School of Columbia University and author of several nonfiction works for children as well as Who Pushed Humpty Dumpty or The Education of a Headmaster on U.S. Education, his science fiction novel, Space Relations, a slightly gothic interplanetary tale. <laughs> what? is a space opera interlaced amusingly with literary analogs to its tale of, of a space diplomat sold into slavery who is sexually excited by fear 
thus enticing a princess and who also finds out Grimm's secrets about an alien invasion of Earth. I'm going to find that book. Because can you imagine how much truth could actually be, like, interlaced into that? That's crazy. Okay. Oh my goodness, guys. We're not going to get into the mega group tonight. I apologize, y'all. I apologize. We're not getting into the mega group. But, um... I'm sure you can understand, and uh, perhaps that will prompt you to tune in to the next episode of Mr. C in the Dark, because we'll definitely dig into that next. Connie Ketchup. Oh, Mr. C, how you bring me memories. OMG, I studied a lot of this and have forgotten. Cool, Connie Ketchup. I'm glad that I can uh, kind of spur that memory on. If you have any saved files, videos, anything, we should definitely compare notes. This is how I knew Barr was bad and never trusted him. All the peeps and their uh, honey badger bullshit. Mm -hmm. However, I did want to believe he would repent. You know, redemption, guy and girl. I don't know why I said guy. I was going to say guys. Redemption is a, is a thing. You know, I think that we should all be allowed redemption. But... Uh, you see here, Whiskey Blue, Wexner is the key. I told you so. Yeah, well, we're going to get into that on the next go-round. It's a 12.15 over where you're at, Miss Deplore Laura. Ah, uh, you west of the Rockies, girl. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This, is, this was an amazing article. Like, this entire series has just blown my mind. It's just, it's nice to have it put together. I'm surprised this is still on the web and it hasn't been scrubbed. I mean, I'm sure there could be a reason for something like that for it still being out there, but I'm, I'm definitely surprised by it. Um, alrighty guys, that was quite, uh, that was quite a rabbit hole right there. I would say well worth digging into, I think. Uh, and you know, Hey, slick shoe, good to see you still out there. I think, um, I think if anything, you know, just to kind of, you know, uh, nudge the interest along, bring the stuff back up to the surface, maybe inspire new searches, new digs, um, you know, new, new new digital warriors to get on this stuff you know so very cool uh we'll do when are we gonna do part three uh i i mean we might do it tomorrow we might do it tomorrow I, there's no c report during the weekends i might do a watch party this weekend with something i haven't decided yet there's a couple of press conferences that i've been wanting to you know kind of archive on the channel on the channel uh, and then, of course, we also have Lone Star News coming back this weekend. So look forward to that. Uh, we'll probably do part three of this um, this investigative series uh, this weekend. So uh, we'll we'll jump back on it, guys. And uh, I will make sure that I have my espresso again because that really helped me get through this. <laughs> as late as it is, right? As late as it is. Oh, Whiskey Blue, that's nice. Whiskey Blue says, I love you, Mr. C. You and Speak are like brothers to me. <laughs> Awesomeness. Oh, and you were hanging out on Wednesday night, weren't you, Whiskey Blue? Yeah, that was a fun time. We had a good time. We had a good time. Uh, Deplore Laura says, North San Diego here. I'll try to be on next time. I'm going to wait and watch this one later. You have a great night, Deplore Laura. Thanks for keeping uh, the light on over there at Twitch for us. And always a pleasure. All right, guys. I think with that said, I've got stuff to do tomorrow early. So, uh, And I had a late night last night. I'm sure some of you all might remember. Because <laughs> I don't. No, just kidding. I remember everything. 
but uh, thanks for hanging out as we did this dig and kind of went over this information. Again, it's not the most... It's not, it's not the most palatable subject. It is interesting, you know. It's, not, it's just not the most palatable subject. But uh, yeah. Yes, Connie Ketchup. That is, you got it. Great Gatsby. I, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not my cup of tea, generally speaking. But I, I mean, I actually did like the movie. I mean, it has its cheesy moments, but, you know, also literature. Um, but uh, that's the way I saw it. I was like, wow, they're telling us how they blackmailed officials and corrupted everyone. Anyways, guys. All right. We're going to call it an evening now. I think we'll, uh, how will we do this on the way out? I think I'm just going to end it the way we started it. Uh, that way you guys have enough time to scratch them, uh, scratchins. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, this is Mr. C signing out for Mr. C in the dark. Thank you all again for joining us. We'll be back again tomorrow to, uh, cover this information and bring a little bit of light to the darkness. Cause that's what we like to do here. Love you all. Thank you all for hanging out tonight. And, uh, well, we'll see you next time. So till then you guys have a great night. Be safe, be blessed. God bless America and God save the children. That's what we're here for also. Until next time, take care.